Welcome to Dharma If You Dare. I'm Christopher Lawley, Planet Dharma team member and producer of the podcast. In this final regular episode of Season 4, we finish up our series on the four pillars of Planet Dharma's approach to working with students with a look at shadow integration. In this excerpt from their online course, Beyond the Cushion, Doug Capel Duncan and Catherine Prawasarat Sensei explain what the shadow is, how it shows up, how it can be reintegrated, and the tremendous benefits this work offers to those who undertake it. While two of the Planet Dharma pillars, study and meditation, can be practiced to a certain extent on your own, the other two pillars, Karma Yoga and Integrating the Shadow, require a skilled and experienced guide to be done safely and fruitfully. And to really unlock the power of these practices requires trust. Trust that can only really be built on a relationship that develops over time. If these talks speak to you, and Sensei and Capel seem like the sort of teachers you would like to work with, we encourage you to check out our How We Work page on our website. Visit planetarma.com and click on the First Time Here button. And now here's today's recording. So, what is the shadow? What is the shadow, or the id, or sometimes called the shadow archetype? It may refer to an unconscious aspect of the personality, which the conscious ego does not identify itself. So the conscious ego doesn't identify this aspect of the personality as being part of its personality. Or it could be the entirety of the unconscious, the whole unconscious is in, in a sense in the shadow. And as Namjal Rinpoche once said, where the unconscious is, there the conscious mind shall go. So you could say in some ways that the unconscious was unconscious to humanity until Freud. I mean, Freud really brought in this new way of seeing things in terms of the personal ego. So in a sense, we became conscious of the, the shadow sides of the ego with psychology. And you might say we've become now conscious of other unconscious aspects of the psyche through the integral spirituality in the states and stages. That's right. So anyway, it's everything that is not fully conscious in your being. So insofar as there are aspects of your sexuality, or if there's aspects about your economics or your money, your attitude to money, or your attitude to power or control, insofar as you do not know or you're not aware of how you're exercising control or how you're trying to exercise control, you can say it's in your shadow. Since I mentioned these three topics in particular, you've heard us speak a lot about money, sex, and power. And that's because those are symbols for the first three chakras, the first, second, and third chakra, the lowest three in order in the body. And we'll be talking about that a, a bit later. But the reason that these are so important is, well, one, they're so sticky. You know, if you say, hey, let's talk about money, sex, and power, probably most people are going to go, oh, can we... I'd rather talk about love and compassion and all nice things. And we can't skip those first three chakras. We, we can only do well from the heart up if those first three chakras are really healthy. So we want to think of those as our, our launching pad for the upper chakras, mm -hmm. those first three. So they're super important, and that's generally where the shadow lives, is in those first three chakras. Yeah. In short, I guess you could say the shadow is the unknown or unrecognized side of the personality. And you tend to find these when you get into fights. 
when you get into fights with other people or when you get into negative states. However, one tends to remain ignorant of these less desirable aspects of the personality, and so the shadow is seen as largely negative. It seems mostly negative, but in fact, with exploration, we find that there are a lot of positives also hiding out in the shadow, but they need to be brought out into consciousness in order to become positive, which is why we're so keen on integrating the shadow, because once we explore the shadow, a lot of positive traits and talents also emerge. So there are also things that remain in the shadow, especially when you're suffering from low self-esteem or anxieties, or you have strange false beliefs, like you're not going to die, which we all believe more or less, although we don't believe it, we kind of believe it, we're never going to die. And so these, these anxieties and these fears and these false beliefs are all tied up in what we call the four root fears. Four deep ego fears. And people who've read our book, Wasteland to Pure Land, will be familiar with these two. Their four deep ego fears are fear of abandonment, fear of annihilation, fear of insanity, and fear of being evil. So the neuroses and the, the shadow aspects are ways to protect ourselves from meeting those four fears. And of course, if you were, as we'll show you in a slide that comes later, once you meet those four fears, then the four ego fears in the center of the diagram opens up into light and clarity, and it becomes shunyata. Emptiness. Emptiness. In a and, positive sense. And yes, and that is the way through. The way through your anxieties and worries and shadow aspects is to meet the fears, go through the fears in a core exercise that we've talked about before, going to the core. And that brings you back into spacious emptiness, which is the same as the totality that you wanted in the first place. And now you've cleared the mandala and you can repeat, like the Buddha said, done is that which has to be done. No longer is this subject to becoming. And so now you're no longer subject to becoming. It's no longer blind becoming. It may be chosen becoming. Okay, so we talked about some things hidden in the shadow. Self-esteem issues, for example, those are usually a result of challenging family conditioning. And we talked about false beliefs sometimes called primitive views. Primitive views. These stem from a misunderstanding of reality. So we're afraid of negative emptiness because we see negative emptiness as kind of an emotional emptiness, a, a sense of being emotionally or life energy empty. But that's really like just... meaningless. Like meaningless, yeah. But, but that's really just covering the four fears. That meaninglessness is a protection against those four core fears. And when you can go through those core four fears, which the shadow is blocking, then you come out the other side and you enter into this other side of emptiness, which is the blissful, clear, radiant side of emptiness. And we get glimpses of that as well. So we have glimpses of the radiant emptiness, and then we tend to cling on to it. We tend to try to own it. We try to embed it in our lives, and then we lose it because it can't be held. That's right. This positive emptiness, also known as shunyata, is very peaceful and the source of basically all creativity. So we want to normalize the shadow. I think it's also normal to wish we didn't have one or hope that it's really small. <laughs> we have a small, subtle shadow. <laughs> but everyone has one. And so it's just, it's like not a matter of if, but when 
we, we come to terms with it. The less that we have dealt with the shadow consciously and how it's held in the body, because it's not just an intellectual exercise, it actually takes up residence in different parts of the body in different ways. Any body worker knows that. The less we have addressed our shadow consciously, then the darker and the denser it gets. And kind of weirder. I don't mean to freak people out, but the more we're in denial of our shadow, the more we'll say something really embarrassing at an inopportune time. So the shadow may be in part a link to one's more primitive animal instincts, because remember, we're talking about the first three chakras. And then our conscious mind basically covers this up from our early childhood. So we've got these mammalian instincts, and then we start going to school and getting really intellectual and don't really get any training on what to do with all of these animal drives, we can say. Now, why would we want to deal with the shadow? Well, according to Carl Jung in his book that he wrote in 1951, the shadow is a moral problem that challenges the whole ego personality. For no one can become conscious of the shadow without considerable moral effort. Now, you don't like the word moral, that's okay, but introduce the idea of clarity or... Conscientious. Conscientious or integrated or awake. And to become conscious of this shadow involves considerable effort by recognizing the darker aspects of the personality as present and real. So I'm sorry, you're not all just lovely all the time. Sometimes you are a instinct-driven beast of awesome terribleness, taking out your vengeance on either your neighbors or Trump. Never mind. And anyway, the act is essential condition for any kind of self-knowledge. So as Socrates once said, life unexamined isn't worth living. And in a sense, that's what separates the monkeys from the humans, is, is the examined life. It's what has made us human is that we've been able to examine our lives and to be more awake, you have to examine them more fully. It's, it's a tautology. Whether you do that through meditation, whether you do that through shadow work, whether you do it through karma yoga, whether you do it through study, the ability to become more empowered in our humanity depends on examining what we probably would rather not examine. Okay, so in case it's not clear from what we've said so far, integrating the shadows are a really fundamental way to unfold spiritually and reduce our suffering and reduce the suffering of other beings as well. It's also one of the fastest ways to do this. If we don't integrate the shadow, that really slows our spiritual development down considerably. Whatever we call it, the shadow refers to buried aspects of our psyche that are usually suppressed usually due to family conditioning and societal conditioning. Family conditioning, societal conditioning, gender conditioning, racial conditioning, history conditioning, species conditioning, and environmental conditioning. We are conditioned by our oxygen and water and etc. So you, you can obviously hit some big fears in water or fire or so on. Buried alive is one of the great shadow fears, fear of being buried alive. Another way to look at the shadow is to show us how we unconsciously block the light. Because everyone does it in different ways, right? Everyone's shadow is different. Issues about control. 
about safety, about money, about relationships, about entertainment, about consumption, about values, and about careers, are nothing wrong inherent with these things, of course. These things are fine in and of their own nature. But insofar as our identity or our conscious minds are absorbed and taken up by things to the exclusion of the spacious emptiness of the clear light mind, they are in shadow. They are creating the shadow. And the shadow is really sneaky. It also comes in disguise as just passing the time. Plain old habit. Just getting through the day. Getting through the day. When we can be on autopilot. The shadow can hide in just the status quo habit mind as well. And it is really, really interesting that it is really, really simple to wake up in any given moment. And the only thing you have to do to wake up in any given moment is to see the nature of the emptiness and the unknowability of reality. There is nothing you actually know. I mean, in terms of how anything works, it's always connected to something else. It's turtles all the way down. We have no fucking idea what's going on or how it works, but we can fake it to make it look like we know what we're doing. And when you can embrace that unknowing, then the light is always in your mind. It's when you try to nail it down into fixing it or knowing it that you start to lose it. And if nothing else teaches you that this is true, death will, because it's all going to dissolve. So true. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Okay, so another way we look at the shadow, and this is something we work with a lot in this teaching, is the shadow as a blind spot, or blind spots plural. And blind spots are just amazing phenomenon. <laughs> I think there's got to be some kind of law in physics about blind spots, because it, it takes a really long time to even be able to admit that we have one. And it's not about like refusing to admit, it's about they're just really, really blind. Pretty much with everybody, we have tens and maybe hundreds of conversations about a blind spot. And then one day, 10 years in, the person will say, oh, do I really have that blind spot? Really? Gosh, I never thought of that before. Even though you, not just us, but everybody around has had many, many conversations about this blind spot. This is one of the reasons that we're such big fans of spiritual community, of really having a engaged, engaging with the Sangha or living in spiritual community because it really does take that kind of, what's the word, triangulation, but with more than three. Hexagonical. <laughs> <laughs> you know, being in like a room of mirrors with just a lot of people saying, yes, I have noticed you have this blind spot. It's an amazing moment when you kind of go, gosh, what is wrong with all of these people? They're all telling me I have the same imaginary issue. How can so issue. many people be wrong? Yeah, why are like 15 people telling me this same ridiculous, obviously untrue thing? Oh, I know. You need new friends. And then, <laughs> and then a light bulb goes on and you think, oh, gosh, maybe, maybe that's the blind spot they've all been talking about. Sangha is really good for this, Karma Yuga is really good for this, meditation is really good for this, study is good for this, and working with the shadow is really good for this, which is why we came up with the four pillars. And to repeat what Namjil Rinpoche said, the basically essential part of our spiritual awakening in our tradition is bringing whatever is unconscious into consciousness, positive and negative. 
And this is no the, mud, no lotus. No mud, no lotus. No shit, no flowers. <laughs> this is true spiritual transformation. And if it doesn't do it, it's not spiritual transformation. It's spiritual entertainment. So unless there's a transformative element happening in your mandala that is causing you to wrestle with something, you are being basically at the consumption bar of spiritual new age happiness until it doesn't work, which is going to be the minute you meet the shadow. That was great. Zongzhar Kente Rinpoche has a whole book on this topic called Not for Happiness. And uh, he says, the spiritual life is not for happiness. If you want to feel better, go get a spa treatment. <laughs> the spiritual life is about getting to work. And curiously enough, the clear light mind that you are realizing through this work is the ultimate happiness anyway. That's right. Makes all the other happinesses look a little dull. That's right. So let's be clear on that point. Bliss is the awesome byproduct, but it's not the objective. No. And remember the fourth mark of existence after Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta was? Nirvana is Nirvana bliss. Nirvana is bliss. This is transforming the shadow into strengths, and that is basically the theory of alchemy. So every tradition has been working on this forever, and the ones that do it well survive, and the ones that don't fall away. So we want to be honest. It's important everybody knows what's what. So working with the shadow is kind of like mud wrestling. Definitely takes courage and fortitude. Those are really indispensable. All right, so it's important to acknowledge that the nature of the ego is to want control and power. So everybody's ego wants control and power. That's part of the function of the ego. And it's not a good thing or a bad thing. That's just how it works. So if you're feeling hungry for control and power, don't give yourself a hard time. Just acknowledge it. And our ego was built and shaped basically as a defense against rejection. Around two years of age, you find out that you are separate from your mother and you, regardless of whether she's rejecting you or not, you feel rejected because you're no longer in a symbiotic relationship. No longer in her womb. You're no longer one with her. You're now an individual. And in that individual, there's this terror of rejection, abandonment. This is where the fears come from. So then the ego starts to calcify around that to manage and control and shape its world to deal with that separation. And in order to survive. Right. It's a sense of feeling of loss of unity. So the spiritual life is a journey back and forward to being your own mother, being your own Tara, where you become the mother of your own being. This is why they say Guru Rinpoche was born from a lotus. The lotus being the ideal mother the, or the mothering principle in the universe. And then you, then you re-enter the unity that you had pre-ego with the ego. It's a boost. You get awakening plus an ego. Bonus. No extra cost. If we can simply acknowledge that it's our conditioning to want control, want power, in order to feel more secure, then it becomes much more easy to work with that consciously. If I'm feeling like I need to be in control, then I'm probably feeling like on some level my survival is being threatened or my security is being threatened. So when it's conscious, it's much less likely to run amok. And this is meditating on the fly. You just check in with your state in any given moment. 
if the state is wobbling for whatever reason, emotionally or mentally, you just go, okay, what's the control issue here? What's the drive here? What am I trying to get? What am I trying to avoid? So it doesn't mean you're, you have to change it even necessarily, but you, you got to know what's going on. The key is knowing what's going on. It's not fixing it. You don't have to fix anything. And this is why self-honesty is so crucial for liberation. You just got to see it. There, oh, there it is, right? I'm terrified of going in the grocery store because I might get COVID. Well, like fear of death, right? Fear of annihilation. So you just go, okay, that's the fear. And you go, okay, well, I'm terrified of dying. So you, now you can step into the moment because you've acknowledged it. It has much less power over you negatively than if you're kind of just acting, you know, weird, which is now you're not only terrified, but weird, <laughs> which doesn't give you anything. Double loss. Let's talk about how to integrate the shadow. Let's. Okay. The shadow is really funny this way because on the one hand, it's there to be explored and integrated, but at the same time, by its very nature, we want nothing to do with it. These are just trigger issues, right? And trigger questions. <laughs> and um, as mentioned, they're strongly linked with our lowest, our, our first, second, and third chakra, which Slide are 20. down below the waist. When we say lower chakras, we mean... Ge geographic location. <laughs> so these issues trigger all of our anxieties around survival, around self-image, and around control issues. And again, then these get linked to the four deep ego fears. So to escape from the discomfort of our shadow, the ego has a limited number of strategies. One is to hide and run, or hide or run, turning away, runs away. Another is to argue, debate, and fight. A third is to get angry. Another one is to fantasize. You know, just kind of imagine, oh, I will be like this tomorrow, or next week I will do this, or when I'm smart, I'll write that, or like I'm going to take that holiday, or it's kind of living in the future. And another way is by covering it up with food, sex, drugs, drink, entertainment, careers, relationships, and so on. And all of this just buries our discomfort back into the shadow. So it doesn't mean you can't have a pizza and a beer and watch a movie and get laid. It just means you want to be doing that not from a point of view of running from the emptiness to avoid the negative emptiness. You need to be doing it while dwelling in the positive emptiness. That's the only change. We're not changing the, the pizza and the beer and the sex. We're just changing how you're entering into the experience, either as a running away from loneliness or abandonment. Like a Band-Aid to cover up pain or suffering. Or as just dwelling in the middle of emptiness and enjoying the dance called life. Those are the options. So when we have the courage to lean into the shadow, we get a bunch of benefits. One, the energy levels we have go way up. We're not as tired. We're not as tired as often. We're not as tired about as much. We're not bugged by as much. We don't waste time and energy on stuff that is relatively irrelevant. The qualities that bothered us in other people don't bother us anymore. Yeah. We tend not to project things on other people as much. We have compassion for others rather than distaste or irritation. And our sense of the light gets greater. I think St. Paul said when your eye be single, meaning integrating the shadow, I guess, in a way, your entire body's filled with light. And 
while light, it's not like there's a light bulb in there keeping you awake at night. It's more like light is a metaphor, a metaphor for the clarity of the consciousness is experienced, for lack of a better word, as lighter. And I think whenever you work through a problem, you get that feeling of lightness in your being, the, I don't know, the incredible lightness of being. And you get that transformation of those lead-like qualities in your being into gold, which you can spend at the bar of entertainment and consumption in a life of wonderment. But now it's more like a adornment rather than a need. And that's the huge difference. And since we're all compost heaps, I like the analogy of from that manure that we've composted, all that kind of stuff that started out as yucky becomes this amazing material full of nutrients and life from which all kinds of amazing things can grow. Cool. Okay, so when we transform this cruddy, gross stuff into something from which amazing things can grow, this is really beautiful and exciting, right? All the possibilities. And there are a lot of auxiliary tools you can use for this. You can use the Enneagram, you can use the Tarot, you can use archetypes, you can use Tibetan Tantra, you can use Kabbalah, you can use the human, human design. You can use astrology. Catherine has an online course, Astro Dharma. You can use money coaching archetypes. Energy work, Tai Chi. Energy work, Tai Chi. You can use almost anything. It's important to say also that once we've transformed our own shadow, then we have the ability to transform other people's shadows and also the collective shadow. So how does the shadow show up in our lives? In our lives? Well... Funny I should ask. Funny you should ask. I think the most common way that the shadow shows up is in the guise of extremely irritating people in our lives. Also known as other people. As other people. You know, it's never us, right? (laughs) We're always reasonable. No, we find these people unbearable. So it's, it's often someone we can't really escape, like a colleague or a partner or... Sometimes a series of strangers, that's when it gets kind of interesting, when it's a a series of seemingly random encounters, but the theme is the same. If you have issues with bosses, for example, like, oh, bosses always suck. So it's it's really key that we need to take back these projections and, and figure out how they are in our own makeup, in our own psychological makeup. And when we change just one of these shadow elements, and there aren't that many really, when you get down to, you've only had three or four major traumas in your life, and they're not really the big issue. The big issue is the traumata. They're the reverberations out from these traumas that that tie into all your little activities. So curiously, when when you start looking at the traumatas, which is where the shadow's tendrils are, then it takes very little effort, very little time before the big trauma just cracks. And once that big trauma cracks, you can move very quickly through a lot of data that's been bugging you for years relatively quickly. So change isn't as difficult as it sounds. It's mostly driven by the motivation to get it done. And and as we like to point out, it's actually impossible to change another person. So if, if someone's driving you crazy and you really would like them to change, the best thing to do is to change oneself 
because when we change ourselves, everybody around us has to change to accommodate the change in us. So the great thing about integrating the shadow is that not only do these fears and issues dissolve, but we develop courage and stability and fearlessness. And fearlessness is tied to fierceness. And in order to come to fearlessness, you have to develop fierceness. And so there's a couple of images we have for you and that are meant to help you meet your fierceness. One so, is out of Japan. So this is where the protector deities or, or guardian deities come in. And this one's from Japan. His name's Fudomyo. And Fudo means immovable and Myo means king of light. And he's a protector deity. Culture develops these amazing things. Well, it's not just culture. It's spiritual practice has these insights. So Fudomyo, by the way, he's Achala in Sanskrit. He destroys obstacles to enlightenment. And it's said that he has a special ability to travel to hell realms to save souls. And it's said that he destroys demons. But as we know, energy is neither created nor destroyed. So you can't really destroy a demon. So what does he do? He transforms them, as we've been talking about for this whole class. So these deities or archetypes are asking you to embrace them as part of your psyche. The unconquerable, the unmovable, I am going to be Fudomyo. I am going to be a Chala when it comes to the fears. I'm going to meet them with fierceness and directness and ride that storm. And in the process, I will come out as fearless. That's how you get to be fearless. Right. And that's by meeting your fears. That's right. So, so we take on these qualities and these abilities to be fearless, to be able to travel to hell states, in this case, hell realms, hell states, and come back still full of light. We hope you enjoyed this season. Please take a moment to rate and review Dharma If You Dare on your favorite podcast app. It really helps people discover what we're doing. And don't forget to subscribe to get notifications when the new season starts, along with any bonus content that may be shared this summer. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, we're so glad the material is resonating with you. If you're a new listener, welcome. I encourage you to go back through the almost 100 full episodes and almost 40 bonus episodes to explore Capel and Sensei's take on a wide variety of topics that bring timeless wisdom to our modern context. As this is our last regular episode of season four, I'd like to take the opportunity to thank Richard Sadowski for all his work this season, helping to prep the recordings so they are ready to use. I'd like to thank the whole Planet Dharma team, a remarkable group of people exemplifying the amazing power of embracing karma yoga as a practice and a path. And of course, endless gratitude to Capel and Sensei for the teachings themselves and for the permission to access their archives to be able to share this material with the world. See you next season, and may all our efforts benefit all beings.